This morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 25, um, starting at verse 14, and uh, I, I put this in my sermon plans before I knew this was going to happen. This was not planned by me, um, but you'll certainly see some overlapping themes here this morning. This is the parable of the talents, which you may be familiar with. Before I do, I'm supposed to remind you that if you are going on the Glory Ridge uh, mission trip next weekend, uh, there's a short 15-minute meeting after church to just kind of stay here for a few minutes, and we'll just make sure everything is set to go for next week. So if you're going on that, stay around for a few extra minutes. All right, this is Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. It will be like a man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you are delivered, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've done, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, deliver to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And my coming, I I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even when he has, will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness." that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the supreme teacher, the greatest teacher who's ever lived. And we thank you that you yet teach your people. We pray this morning that by your Holy Spirit, this word would pierce us and change us and shape us. We pray that it would cause our hearts to be inflamed with love and that our lives would be further given over to you in your service. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This, uh, this section of Matthew 25 is, is in a long series of teaching. If your Bible is a red-letter Bible like mine, you might notice that the pages are like all red in this section of Matthew. It's near the end of Jesus' life as he's moving towards the cross. And he's speaking here in this section about uh, the, the final judgment. And we'll talk about the rest of this passage next week. But this is looking towards the end of all things. And he's using a series of stories to teach his people uh, what the basis of judgment is and how they should 
be conducting their life as informed by that final judgment. The previous parable was the parable of the bridesmaids, the, the young virgins who some were ready and some were not, and he's tell, told them to be prepared. And then he says, for it will be like, and that's why he starts that way in this story, it will be like at the end, whether you're prepared or not. And he presents this scenario of a king doling out series, uh, set amounts of money. And to be clear, a talent is a money. It is not talent the way that we think of talent. Although the uh, concepts are overlapping here and they touch on one another. Jesus is talking about money, and he's talking about quite a substantial amount of money. Commentators range from either saying it's like 60 days labor to 6,000 days labor. Somewhere in there. It's a lot of money, either way. And he, a talent is, is just one, uh, one talent is 60 to 6,000 days of labor, and one person gets five of those, somebody gets two of those, somebody gets one of those, and the king leaves. And the reckoning comes at the end, what is done with those talents? What is done with what is given? And it's important here to note that, that there is no judgment uh, when the king is doling out the talents, when he's giving these sums of money. He's giving somebody what he thinks they are capable of handling. And there's no moral judgment on them for whether they get five, two, or one. You can see it when he comes back. Because the, the guy with five says, look, I've taken your five and I've made ten. And what's the king's response? Well done, good and faithful servant. You enter into the joy of your master. Well, the guy who got two and multiplied it to two more, so four, what is, what's the response that he gets? Is he, is he told, well, you know, that's 40% as good, you know, slightly good, mostly faithful servant, enter into the tepid pleasure of your king. No, that's not, that's not what he says. It's the same response between the five and the two. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And of course, the parable is centering in on the one. The problem is not the one. The problem is what the servant has done with the one. And the servant has believed his master to be cruel, capricious, and he is afraid. And to spare himself, he puts the money in the ground. And here it's important to pause and to remember that parables are aimed at specific things. The point of this parable is not to tell you what the nature of the king is like. I, let me give you an example. Jesus tells another story that encourages you to pray. He says that it's like uh, there's a woman and there's an unjust judge. And the woman has to pester the unjust judge into, into giving her what she rightfully deserves. The message of that parable is not God is unjust and you have to annoy him into doing what's right. That's not the point of the parable. And the point of this parable is not God is really mean. He's going to burn you down if you don't perform well enough. The focus is on the response of the servant. And the servant, for the sake of their own security, buries the talent in the ground. R.T. France, a commentator, um, says the third servant substitutes security for service. And that is what this person is indicted on. You have taken this one talent, you've buried it in the ground, and you've done nothing with it. At least 
if you would have put it in the bank and got some interest off of it, you would have done something good with my money, and the servant is cast out into the outer darkness. Jesus is telling his followers to attend to this story and to be aware, to beware, that they become like the third servant. And this, this is an incredibly prescient story for us in our day and time. Because we live in a place, in a culture, in a time that is constantly telling us that we should live for ourselves. Everything that is arrayed around you, it's in the air that you breathe and it's in the media that you consume. It is in the ethos of of us and American people to believe that you should live for yourself and everything that you have is given to you for your own pleasure. And where this person, this third servant, has made a mistake is, is a very easy place for us to make a mistake. The third servant treats this one talent as if that talent is theirs. And it's forgotten that that piece of money is not their own, but it is the king's. Everything that you and I have is not ours. This parable is reminding us that the things that have been entrusted to you, from money to friendships to talents, the way that we normally think of talents, skills, opportunities, these are all things that have been given to you and are not yours. And you are to live your life. I am to live my life in light of that truth, that those things are not mine. They do not belong to me. And I am called to spend them and to invest them and to give them away with the truth ringing in my ears that this stuff is not mine. It is the king's who has entrusted it to me and only momentarily, only momentarily. And I am not called to be like this person or that person. I may have just one while other people have two or five or twelve. And I'm not called to measure myself against them or them or them. I am called with God has put in my hands to be faithful with it. To multiply it. Because it's the king's own pleasure to do so. You know, I... I, I, by nature, cling to what I have and think of everything that I own as mine. And when I come to this season of Lent in the the church calendar and practice fasting in one way or another, the thing that I repeatedly come up against, like, like speed bumps in the parking lot of my life when I'm fasting, is how... Often and by nature, I think of everything that I own as mine. You know, I've, um, I, I am, for whatever reason, by biology or something weird, I like cars, but not like, a, not like in a typical manly way. Like, I don't know anything about engines or how they work. I and mean, you put the key in and you turn it. You have to put gas in and you should change the oil. And I know how roughly to do that. I know how to change a tire. That's it. But I like sitting in a nice car and driving it. 
partly because there's not garbage all over it because there's no kids that have been sitting in it. But I, I like, you know, the smell of a new car and how quiet it is, and there's all these little cool gadgets. When I have to rent a car, I'm super excited. I really just sometimes think about doing it just for fun. And um, recently, uh, my, my car had trouble again, and uh, it just never seems to stop having trouble, and it annoys me because it's like, ugly on the outside now, and it just rattles down the road all the time. And I've tried to get them to fix the rattle, and it just never stops. And sometimes the rattle actually like shakes things off my engine. That happened this time. Um, and I just began to think, what would it be like if I didn't have this car? What would it be? I'm not talking, I don't need a Ferrari. What if I just had like a Toyota Camry? You know what I'm saying? Just a nice, solid, clean, respectable car that didn't sound like raccoons playing in aluminum cans. And I would go online and I would spend hours just looking at you, not new, just used. That's all I'm saying. What if I just got a used car that didn't sound or smell like this? And when I'm in the middle of this, it is like consumeristic pornography. It is stuff that I cannot have, should not have, but come dangerously close to believing that it is my right to have. And I spend hours of my time this way, slowly imbibing this lie. What I have is for me, and I should feed what I want entirely based on what makes me happy. That is the way the world is organized. And what Jesus is reminding us in this parable is nothing that you own is yours. You are not permitted. I am not permitted to live my life believing that I am called to fulfill every one of my wants and desires. But the chief purpose of my life is to take what the king has given me and to multiply it and spend it to his own profit. This parable provides for us freedom. You know, when I read this parable, some part of me asks, well, what happened if the guy had tried and he lost the one? What happened if he did fail? And that scenario doesn't exist in this parable, and I think it is for a reason. Because when you set your heart on Jesus as your king, and you invest in the kingdom, you cannot lose. It is a no-risk, no-loss investment. That doesn't mean it won't cost you anything. It, you, all you have to do is read the rest of the New Testament and see it, it will cost you everything. It might even cost you your own very life. It may cost you your comfort, but it is a no-loss investment. Because when you sow into the kingdom, the king is good to take care of your money. The, good, the king is good to take care of your time. The king is good to take care of those talents, those skills that you have. And he is good at keeping count. He, his ledgers are correct. And when you spend anything and everything of yourself into the kingdom, you will not, you cannot lose. 
You may not be wealthy. You may, you may be poor when you, when you end your life. You may not be able to pay for your kids and your grandkids and their grandkids, money, college, car stuff. But when you spend into the kingdom, that money, that time, that effort, that love is not lost because this king doesn't lose on his investments. And I am afraid. I am often afraid that I will be the one who will fail and that the king will look at me and say, poorly done. Poorly done. Get out. Far too many Christians, myself included, are afraid of failure in the kingdom. Because we actually read this parable and say, this is what the king is like. He is a harsh taskmaster. And if I fail, he'll never want anything to do with me. Which is not the point of this parable. Jesus has other ways of telling you what the king of this kingdom is actually like. To tell you the character of what this king is actually like, he for once does not use a parable. He teaches you directly. He teaches you visually what the nature of this king is like. And Paul will hear this teaching. He will see this teaching. And he will lay out for you and I what that lesson teaches us about the nature of this king. In Philippians 2, he calls people to a life of service by looking at this object lesson. Philippians 2, verse 3 and following. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is why you can live this kind of life. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The enthronement of Jesus as king happens in the way that he becomes a servant. See, the nature of the king in this parable is better exemplified and understood by looking outside the parable to the one who tells the parable. And Paul will tell you that this king becomes king not by trampling upon the backs of the weak and the failures and those who have risked and lost, but by himself becoming a servant. 
The king that we worship, the king that is the one who doles out the talents based on your measure of ability, the one who will evaluate whether you have been faithful to what God has given you, he is himself a servant. Isaiah will spend chapters of his prophecies telling you that the king of Israel becomes a servant who suffers. So you don't have to live your life in fear. You don't have to look at your stuff and do the calculations and do risk and benefit analysis and worry. If I fail in the kingdom, if this doesn't work out, will God not accept me? Because this king is a servant. And this king is himself the one who fully and properly obeys, who understands that even in his own life, he will be obedient to the Father and give it away because his understanding, his assurance is that God will achieve the victory of the kingdom even through his death on a cross. So Jesus' own faithfulness secures for us confidence in the kingdom that the king loves his servants. He himself was a servant. And we don't have to be afraid at the final accounting of deeds because the king died for us. And Jesus provides for us the model of the way forward. If the king himself did not account all of his kingly enthronement as something to be grasped, but as something to be given away, then you and I equally do not need to cling to the things that give us comfort and power and security, the small pleasures and the big ones that we wrap around ourselves for security, but we instead can empty ourselves of those things. And in Jesus, we have an unconquerable promise that all the riches of heaven itself are secured for us forever. People of God, God has entrusted to you any number of things. Security through money. He's given you people. He's given you skills. He's given you this place. And what he is asking you to see is that there is no great risk in following him. You should trust him. You should trust him that he is a good king who has himself become a servant before. What you are called to is see that Jesus is absolutely worth it. Jesus is worth it to the extent that he will call you to give away the things that you value most. For those of us at Valley Hope, we have in our presence our brothers and sisters from what was Swanoa Valley Prez. You are sitting in a room that people decided... Jesus was worth more than. Our brothers and sisters were able to say, let the kingdom go on. Pushing all their chips in on the name of Jesus. And what I would tell them and what I would tell you is that investment will not fail. That that great accountant, 
has marked every piece of cost involved in that. Personal, financial, time. And every bit of that is a worthwhile and secure investment. You are sitting in a room that is built on that premise. And you and I are called not to look at the room or the investment or the cost, but you and I are called to look at Jesus and say, He is worth that. He is worthy of that. He is worthy of that investment. He is worthy of every ounce of investment of my life. He is worthy of every piece of my comfort. He is worthy of everything that I could accumulate for myself. If I just push it in the middle of the table and say, it is for Jesus. Jesus is worthy of that. And although it appears to cost me much, I lose nothing. I lose nothing. Because Jesus is eternally worthy. And one day he'll be seated on the throne and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what we have already seen through a glass dimly. That he is worthy and enthroned and the most beautiful person that you could ever meet. The center of all hope and life in the universe. People of God, now is the time, now is the season to look back on your life. What have you traded? What's, what have you traded for security, for pleasure, instead of service? What are you holding on to? If you're like me, this is a question that you have to ask daily, hourly. What have you counted as more valuable than the kingdom of Jesus? And if you are if you're here today and you have done this math and you have been trembling in fear or your heart is cold and you cannot seem to come to the right conclusion there, you are called to look at the nature of this king and say, he did not grasp on to what he could, but gave it away to serve me? To wash my feet? To secure me in his kingdom? He is, he is your loving master who has treated you as a brother or a sister and scooped you up in his arms to seat you at his table. He is lovely and loving. Be reminded of the nature of the king this morning and hear Jesus' call to give away everything that you have and gain everything in him. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word. I pray, God, that our hearts would be pierced by this word. Let us hear that it is your desire to invite people into the joy of the master. 
Let, let us see you as the king crucified, this servant king who shows us the way forward and secures for us a place in the kingdom. Father, I pray that we would hear this word of warning, that we would hear this word of warning that points to us how easy it is to trade service for security. And Lord Jesus, I pry that you would graciously pry open our fingers again and again, day by day, that we would be invited in to giving away our lives. And Father, we freely confess to you that by nature, we are grasping, we hold on to, we cling tight. Would you help us, God, by your Holy Spirit? to loosen our grip and instead reach for all the bigness, the wild, glorious beauty of the kingdom? Would you help us to see the truth, how majestic and glorious you are? Father, make our hearts soft and impassioned for you. Help us to see you and to be able to say rightfully, freely, joyfully, oh, Jesus is so worthy of all this. He's absolutely worth it. Help us to believe that down to our bones, God. Open our eyes that we'd be a seeing people and open our ears that we would hear you. Fill our mouth with your praise, God. Amen.